0: There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first-ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash grandhighlander.
2: Coming up on Huddle & Flow. You are kidding.
3: No, you're kidding. (laughs) far
1: far I went with this thing and... And uh, ask Johnny Randall that story one day. He'll tell you. <laughs> Did he do it? Did he try to break your I, finger? He, called, he I called a timeout on a drive. We were going down against Miami, and, and we were uh, we were coming from behind. And I called timeout, and everybody's panicking. What's wrong? What, what's wrong? What, what's going on with Warren? Why is he coming over here? And I, and I walked over to the trainer. And I said, go get that fingernail fouled for me. And I fouled the fingernail down and ended up throwing the winning touchdown past the to, uh, quadri Ishmael uh, to win the football game. <laughs> that's next on huddle and flow
2: And we are back on the Huddle Flow podcast brought to you by Intuit, the proud makers of TurboTax, QuickBooks and Mint. I am Steve White, I'm my brother Jim Trotter, two-thirds of the Howard University Mafia, I'm producer Thomas Warren on the one to twos, completes the puzzle. Jim, we are about three weeks out from the NFL draft. It's percolating a little bit, right? You know, now we're getting all of the hearsay, all, all well, not just now, but we're, we're getting it all. But I just find it interesting because today we're you know we're going to have Warren Moon on as our special guest, you know, and, and it does look like the first four picks now are going to be quarterbacks. Just looking at that element of it, the evaluation of those guys, and then some of the guys who could be greatly greatly impacted, guys, you know, like Sam Darnold. You know, it looks like two and Jalen Hurts are going to be fine now because their teams traded back and clearly are showing faith in them. But when you look at what's coming down the pike, Jim, especially since we're having Warren Moon on. All this conversation about quarterbacks and your team, especially the, the, the 49ers, the team you grew up, the draft really seems to start with that.
3: Uh, no question. Um, it's – you know, Steve, this is like my favorite time of year and the time of year I hate most from this standpoint. I love the fact that many of these young players are going to realize their dream of playing in the NFL, being drafted by an NFL club, but I also hate the fact that we in the media create stories that aren't stories. We have teams that tell us during this draft season, what? That they lie to us <laughs>
1: that they to lie benefit to
3: us. themselves. They're open about that. They lie to us. And yet we in the media will take what they say and use it anonymously, give them the blanket of anonymity to say things about players, to drive down a player's value in hopes that they possibly have a chance at that player in the draft, which I understand. But the thing that bothers me about it is that, They seem to forget that when they do this, sometimes they're impacting and speaking on the character of these young men. And the example this week, as you know, is Justin Fields and everything now that we're starting to hear anonymously about him to try and maybe push him down the draft board so that another team has an opportunity to draft him. And it just does not sit well with me knowing the history of this league and the narrative about black quarterbacks in the NFL.
2: Such as last one in, first one out, can't get off the first read. This it, it just it's it's interesting though because some teams, I mean, their scheme is it's first read or improvise, right? You know, they'll tell you their second and third reads, but we know certain schemes are set. Look, even even a guy like Justin Herbert had to eat some of that, you know, with with the read. But when it comes to the black quarterback, it is so consistent. I mean, year in and year, yeah, you know, the guy's just not. Into his books that much. He's, and it's just like when, like the next time we hear that about a white quarterback, like oh, he's, he's just, not. I mean, honestly, the only quarterback, only white quarterback I, I've heard that about that, that comes to short memory is Johnny Manziel. And that's just because they said Kevin Sumlin didn't do a big playbook. He did a week to week, you know, iPad game plan. And that's how Johnny Manziel learned. It wasn't even so much, yeah, he was just out there doing it. And, and that's that they gave him, you know, the, the kit as an excuse in, in terms of that, instead of oh yeah, he's he doesn't work that hard or he's he's this or that. And you know, when the stuff about Justin Fields coming out, I get Jim, you know I know we've been doing it for a long time. It's it's for teams to to try to move off of him. And you know, it just sucks that we know this, we don't repeat this. We don't we don't you
3: and I don't say this. No, and, and that's what bothers me. Look. I think we would all agree that Alex Smith is one of the brighter quarterbacks in the NFL. Well, I remember back in San Francisco when Norik Turner was there as the offensive coordinator, they cut the field in half for him to try and have success. And they told him he only had to read half the field. I didn't hear anybody saying that Alex Smith was dumb or couldn't process or go through progressions back then when that happened. It was something that the 49ers did at that time to try and help a young player succeed before expanding on the foundation that they were laying for him. The thing about the Justin Fields situation that really bothers me, and I'll mention his name, Dan Orlovsky of ESPN, who first um, had to deal with this, is that Dan had already done a segment identifying how Justin Fields went through reads, went through progressions, and made the plays that needed to be made. And then he went on a show with Pat McAfee and says, this is what I'm hearing from clubs that Justin doesn't do this or he's this. And I'm saying, wait a minute, you've already gone on air and given your opinion based on your research about just what this kid does. And now you're going to give the blanket of anonymity to teams or personnel people who potentially want Justin Fields to fall down the the, uh, draft board so that they have a shot at him. And in the meantime, what you are doing is attacking the character of this young man. And look, as a black man, there are two things. That, that are so offensive. And the two, two of the worst things you can say about a black man is that he's lazy and that he's dumb. And in essence, that's what you're giving these anonymous people, personnel people, the right to say about Justin Fields, even though you know it not to be true. And that's why I say, this isn't even about the personnel people to me. This is about the media representatives yep. who are putting this out there knowing that it's not true. So that's my issue. And lastly, look, let's do this. Our our guest today on the show is Warren Moon. Well, recently I asked Warren Moon for a piece that I wrote, whether or not we have moved past race being a factor in the evaluation of the quarterback position. Let me read this quote to you before we get to Warren. And he said, we've reached a point with the masses where race isn't as big an issue, but there are people who are very uncomfortable with the fact that their quarterback is African-American and making all this money and being endorsed the way they're being endorsed. There's always going to be that certain percentage of our population that feels that way because there's a large percentage of our population that's racist and they don't wanna see African-Americans in that position anyway. But for the most part, people have accepted it. Well, I'll tell you this, maybe people have accepted it, but one thing I will never accept is giving these personnel people the blanket of anonymity to attack a young man's character and so with that Steve you know what I think we just ought to get right into Warren Moon and let's hear what he has to say on this topic and others
2: Jim we're now joined by someone we know well a good friend of ours the Hall of Famer Warren Moon Warren how is everything
1: going with you man I'm doing great, guys. How you guys doing? I, I've uh, heard great things about your podcast, and um, I'm uh, honored to be a guest on there finally.
3: Well, I just want to say people at home don't know that we've had some technical issues, so I have to <laughs> praise Warren for his poise and his patience waiting on me to get it right.
1: So, and That's uh, all something I learned a long time ago trying to play quarterback. I got to have patience. And uh, it helped me today in this process.
2: <laughs> hey, Jim, Warren was like, I keep telling receiver to make his break at 12 yards, and he keeps on breaking it off at nine. And I'm sailing it over his head. You know, so let's get it th- right.
3: <laughs> Some guys just can't be taught, man. You know, this old dog here can't be taught these new tricks. So anyway, I appreciate your patience on it, Warren.
1: No problem, guys.
3: How, How are you been? More? Tell That's us a- what's going on with you. Yeah, Exactly
1: wow i mean right now i'm I'm kind of visiting some family i had a, a, a i have seven grandkids now believe it or not so i was oh, down, wow. down in houston over the weekend uh, one of my grandsons just turned three years old so we had a huge family uh, uh birthday party for him and then i came on down to memphis since i was down this side of the country uh to visit some more family um in memphis because i haven't been able to, to you know, really move around and visit everybody because of the, the pandemic so I'm in Memphis right now and then heading back to Seattle this week, but uh, I've been staying pretty busy uh, doing a lot of uh, a lot of Zoom type things. Um, you can't really do any appearances anymore. So a lot of people do things by Zoom. Um, I'm doing a lot of podcasts like your shows, a lot of interviews on all this good quarterback stuff that's going on in, in our in our league, uh, because that seems to be the hot button um, position of everybody right now you've got to have a quarterback if you don't have a quarterback then what are you going to do so everything is about the quarterback in football right now and football is not a season sport anymore it's a year-round sport that you talk about I mean everybody's talking about free agency now the draft is coming up before you know it it'll be OTAs and then you're back in training camp and we're back in the season again so uh, that keeps me very very busy I'm not doing the broadcast anymore for the Seahawks but I'm thinking of maybe uh, working for some other outlets here this upcoming season. So, uh, you know, I still have my foundation. We're very, very active. Uh, I have a, uh, a golf tournament coming up here in April uh, for uh, for the foundation to raise money for some scholarships. So, uh, you know, a lot of projects going on. Oh,
3: that that golf tournament, I still haven't gotten the invite
1: to that one. Yeah, yeah you, have, you, got... you have to. Some celebrity <laughs> so you got to kind of be some sort of a celebrity. Yeah. Hey, man, hey, you know, you know, the, the, again,
2: the folks out there, you don't know what's going on between Warren and Jim. So this this has been happening before
1: we turn the record button on, and I'm sure we'll continue. Just keeps walking into him, man. Into him. That's
3: the story of my life, Warren. It's the story of my life, man. Hey, you said something interesting I want to ask you about where you said now football is a year-round thing. When do you think that transition sort of occurred and, and what was a, an offseason like for you back when you did play?
1: You know, that's a good question when it actually happened. I think the NFL and the NFL network has kind of created um, you know, just by making all these things huge events like the NFL draft now is a three day primetime huge event. It might be even four days now. I'm not even sure. Um, and then they've made free agency, this thing where, where the buildup to it is, is, is amazing. And, and, uh, everybody wants to know where everybody's going to be going. So I think it's just the marketing of the NFL, the NFL network and how they've made these events that used to always be there. They've always been an event, but they just made it a bigger event by the way they've marketed all these events. So, so you've got free agency becomes a, a huge event. You've got the draft becomes a huge event. Um, and then you've got the OTAs. I mean, they have full-time staffs at all these different camps once the OTAs start. And they're doing, they're doing live broadcasts from there. So just, just the way the NFL has marketed their sport and made it where everybody has to always stay in tune with what's going on in the NFL, I just think it's brilliant marketing. You know, Tony Dungy made a point that,
3: that back when he played and even coached during a period, they would get like 10 weeks off in the off-season. Um, More. Exactly. Back back when you were playing, when you got that kind of time off, what would guys do? What was that that time away like relative to what we see today, where it seems like they had no time
1: off? Yeah, you did some type of training. Of course, you wanted to keep yourself in some type of shape. You never wanted to get totally away from it, at least I know I didn't, uh, because I knew how hard it was to get back if you let yourself just totally go. Um, you also had your trainers would send you different workout plans to work on because you're not going to come into the facility anytime soon. Um, and then you use that time for family and for vacations and other things you want to do. Some guys went back to school and took classes or whatever. So you at least you had some time to be like a normal person uh, in, in the early part of the off season. But that's kind of gone away now. And that's one of the things that kind of made me want to retire, believe it or not, when I was with Kansas City. That's when kind of the OTAs came into play where they wanted you to be there three days a week. And it wasn't like it is now where you can't come in till April. Back then it was in March. Early in March, you could start those OTAs. And here I was, I was living away from Houston from my family as it was throughout the season in Kansas City. So once the season was over, I didn't want to have to come back to Kansas City three days a week and, and you know, go over the fundamentals of playing quarterback. You know, I, I'm in my 23rd year at that time. It's like, I don't want to do that anymore. So th- that was one of the things that made me want to retire, that I didn't want to be away from my family anymore in the offseason because that was the only time I really had to be with them full time. So. Yeah, it's become a full-time sport. Not only the way they're, they're marketing it, the way they're uh, the way they're selling it, but it also has become a little bit more of a full-time gig for for the players as well. You know,
3: Warren, you before think- we get in before we get into football, real quick, I'm just curious if you think that in some ways, it being a full-time job now hurts the players in terms of transitioning out of football when they're done, that they don't have you know, during the offseason,
1: second jobs like players back in the day had or those sorts of things. Do you think it's a factor at all? In some ways it is. I think in one way the players are making so much more money now that they don't have to worry as much about those second career opportunities if they really are smart with their money because the money that they're making now is is just so much greater than what what we were making during those days were. And even before I played, uh, even before that, guys had to have second careers. But now if you're smart with your money and you take care of it, you should be able to be all right and and be able to pick and choose at least a couple of years after you're done playing the game on what what it is you really want to get involved in. You don't have to be as involved um, while you're playing, but you still have time to do that because of the way you can go online and take classes and things like that. It's not going to be that that cumbersome to where you can't do anything. But again, the money part of it is the key that if you put that money away, you can really have a chance to just pick and choose what you want to do when you're done playing the game.
2: Yeah, I also think the the NFL, you talk about a year-round thing. And and Warren and Jimmy, it seems to me there's a lot more programs involved to help players in terms of prepare. If they want to get into the broadcasting, there's a broadcast boot camp. There's all types of things that could help them transition. It's just a matter of because of the money, do the players really want to take advantage of that because as you know Warren even though you played so deep into your career by the time you finish you still have a lot of life left to live and whether it's financial or not you don't want to just sit on your hands for the next 45
1: years of your existence and that's the key you definitely don't want to do that but you also if you do well financially you can take your time and figure out what it is you want to do next uh, with Mm -hmm. that um, opportunities in life because if you're a player that can get to that second contract that's what they always talk about can you get to that second contract that second contract should usually set you up pretty good for for a good portion of your life uh if you can get to that one and then <clears throat> when you retire you can now take a year or a year off maybe or take two years and go back to school and maybe get another degree whatever it is you want to do because you have the financial ability to do that and not have to worry or panic about uh, that part of your life and then you can pick what you want to do and move on. And that's kind of what I was able to do when I retired. Um, I had a chance to just sit back and kind of look and see what I wanted to do going forward, and then I took my time and did it.
2: Warren, since you live in Seattle, I know you said no longer doing the broadcast, but you're just so familiar with this team. Yeah. this stuff going on with Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. Um, <laughs> it's funny because we've seen so many former players, you know, Richard Sherman, Earl Thomas, so many of these other guys, Michael Bennett, Marshawn Lynch, and that end really – great for them there's always kind of a year brush fire before they parted ways with the team
1: where do you think this is headed I think it's kind of headed unfortunately in the same direction um, I think right now it's almost like a marriage that's starting to just have squabbles and um, they're squabbling about you know certain little issues whether it's past protection whether it's talent there's all these little squabbles going on right now and, and I think because of Russell's contract situation there's not a whole lot the Seahawks can do as far as moving him somewhere else even if they wanted to so I think he's definitely there this year um, unless they just want to take a hit and not become a really good football team for a year or so but I think that the marriage is not going to end very well going down the road I think this squabble is going to turn into more of a, uh, a separation and then a divorce at some point and point. and that usually happens with most most players, anyway, you just don't like it to happen um, because of you know the two sides not getting along. But when a player plays at one one place probably ten years or more, there's a good opportunity that he's probably not going to finish his career there. Um, Tom Brady being an exception and some others, but there's a when I when I saw Joe Montana got traded to the Kansas City Chiefs back when when he was with the 49ers, I said anybody in this league is expendable. And Joe wasn't really having a squabble or anything. He just had another really good player behind him waiting in the wings. And that that made him expendable.
3: You know, the thing that's interesting about that Montana story, I remember Eddie DeBartolo told me, he said, when all that was going down, he brought Joe to his home. And he said to Joe, do you want to stay? And he said, if you want to stay, I will make it happen. And he said, Joe told him, no, it's time to move on. And so basically it was Joe's call at that point to go, I think, because he felt he didn't have the full support of the head coach at that time. Right. And so he moved on. The thing that's curious to me about Russell is, like, even with the A.B. thing, they went after A.B. hard last year. Yeah, they did. And they made an yeah, offer to him.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: He chose to go to Tampa, so it wasn't like they didn't attempt to bring A.B. in. And that's, Warren, sometimes when I hear players talk, talking as if they want to be a factor in personnel decisions, there are things that go on that they don't understand. And I don't know that Russell understands that AB made his own decision a year ago on where to play. So you're going to hold that against the organization that a player chose to go elsewhere. That's not on John Schneider or Pete Carroll. So what is that fine line or that balancing point between what a player wants an impact player like Russell and what the team feels it's in his best interest? How do you balance that?
1: Well, I think if anything, you just kind of maybe give the uh, the quarterback the respect and, and listen to his opinion. That doesn't mean you have to do what he what he suggests. I mean, when I was with Houston, they used to come to me all the time during training camp or whenever it was and ask me my opinion about certain receivers or a certain running back. Or we're thinking about bringing in this coach to you know to coach this position. What do you think? So I, I got asked my opinion a lot about different things and I gave my opinion, but they still were going to go ahead and make the decision on what was best for the organization. And I understood that. I just thought it was great that they even included me in any of those decisions. I remember when Jack Pardee was hired uh, as our head coach, you know, he was going to bring in the run and shoot. And they asked me my opinion on what I thought about bringing in Jack and what I thought about running an office like that. And I, I thought it would be pretty fun. So I told him my opinions about it and, and they ended up hiring Jack. Did they hire him because of me? No, but they did get my opinion, which was which was great. So uh, I think that's all Russell can really ask for is is, is uh, uh, if they're going to ask his opinion about certain things, and that, there's a respect factor there that, that they 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 respect his opinion, but that doesn't mean he's going to be the the uh, the deciding factor in what they end up doing. Because, like you said, it's going to come down to a lot of other factors that the player is not even aware of, when he, especially when it comes to a player. Because you have to evaluate that player. We don't know the history of that player. We don't know what he might have been involved in off the field. We don't know about any of those things unless you're willing to sit there and do all that due diligence on what what they do when they evaluate a player. If you want to get involved in personnel decisions, then you better be willing to sit in that office and, and do all the work that it takes to uh, know what what, what goes, into, uh, goes into bringing in a player, um, whether it's through free agency trade or whatever it might be. Do they value Russell's opinion, do you believe? I think they do. But again, uh, they know so much more than what the player is going to know. All we know is I like this receiver. He's great. Uh, We have a good rapport. We worked out together in the offseason. I'd like to have him on my football team. But there's so much more that goes into bringing in a player than just your relationship with him. So uh, that's something that hopefully Russell understands the rest of it.
2: Yeah, well, is it going to be protection? Is it going to be A.B.? I mean, we're hearing a whole lot of stuff from Russell. But Warren, you, you just told a story about how Houston's leadership came to you for your opinion, and they seem to value your opinion, even though it may not have made the decisions based on your opinion. It sounds a lot like what's going on with that franchise right now. I'm saying that oozing with sarcasm, by the way.
1: <laughs> Are you talking about with uh,
2: Houston? Yes, Houston. Yes, not the Titans. I'm talking about the club here's in Houston.
1: The with, here's the problem with Houston: they didn't, they didn't uh, let Deshaun know what they were doing. Which, and they're the ones, they're the ones that suggested that we would let you know what we're doing, and then they didn't let him know what he's doing, what you were doing. He he ended up finding out, I guess, on the uh, on the internet. You know that they hired an offensive coordinator. That they hired a, a new general manager. That they hired a. Well, I don't know. I don't know about the coach part of it, but uh, yeah, he just felt like I'm sure you told me you want to be involved in the process, but then you don't involve me in the process. To go along with all the other things that had gone on in the organization prior to that, whether it was you know their stance on social justice, uh, getting rid of all these great players over the years that uh, has really depleted the football team. There's a lot of reasons why Deshaun is unhappy with that organization. You know, Warren, how much does that, that impact a player?
3: I, I mean, let me phrase it this way. We're seeing players speak out a lot more yeah. um, in today's game than we saw when you did play. Why do you think that is? And do you think that's a good thing for the league at this point?
1: I think it's a great thing, and, and I think the reason why is because of their social media platforms that we didn't have when I played. Back when, when I played, you did an interview, and you hoped that interview, whether it had any substance to it or not, wasn't edited down to a point or whatever was was actually put out there um, was what you actually said or what, what the meaning of what you were trying to get across. Today, because of social media, these guys have their own platforms. Everything they say is organic. It goes right out. To, uh, either their fan base or anybody else that wants to pick it up and you understand exactly where that player is coming from, because it's what he said out of his mouth, not edited interview or anything like that. So I think it's great that they have these platforms. And I also think it's even better that they're using these platforms to, to voice their opinions on certain things. So, yeah, I think it's good all the way around. As long as you make sure what you say you can't bring it back, you know, you better be sure before, like uh, coach says, don't press in until you're really sure about what what it is that you're putting out there, because once it's out in the universe, it doesn't go away. Yeah, it's Coach Edwards, Herm Edwards. I am about to say, anytime you
2: a- get a Herm Edwards, a- Edwards dropping here, we're good. Yeah.
3: <laughs> but you know what, Warren, I'm curious, though. Would
1: you have been an active social media user back during your playing days? I would have to a certain point. Uh, I just didn't feel like especially with the number of guys that I had during the time that I played at my position being African-American, that I that I had the uh, the cachet to do that. Um, I talked a lot about the position in general and what I thought needed to be improved at, at the quarterback position. I talked more on that subject than I did on maybe social justice and things like that. But um, I probably would have been a little bit more vocal if I would have known that whatever it is I wanted to say would would be put out there as opposed to how things can be changed around or or edited to where it doesn't come off the way you want it to to come off. So yeah, I would have been much more uh, vocal if I had the platforms that these players have today, but I don't, I would, I would probably would have took it to the point. Some of these guys are able to do it today because I think they have a lot more power now than we did back when I played. That's an interesting
3: point, Warren, because when you played, obviously there were very few African-American quarterbacks. This past Exactly. This past season, I think we had 10 starting black yeah. quarterbacks. And I'm wondering, how did that influence or or how did that affect what you were willing to speak about publicly during that time versus what you might have been
1: willing to speak on in today's climate? Yeah, see, the thing I was always conscious of is I didn't want to make any mistakes that were going to hurt the next group of guys. As far as me coming into the league, uh, the, the amount of money that I was play, being paid, all the different things that went along with it. And then we had Doug, who who uh, emerged and, and all of a sudden became the, NF, became the Super Bowl uh, MVP. And that. That, was, that was, what, 1988 or something like that. So uh, I knew I could say certain things, but I also knew that I didn't want to rock the boat too much to where it hurt that next generation of guys because I, I was very conscious of being able to to help that next uh, group of guys get more opportunities to come in and play the game. And, and I felt once those guys get th- got those opportunities and once they got a chance to get on the field and start showing what they could do, then that would kind of increase uh, our confidence, increase uh, the things that we could say as players but if you only had one or two at the time, when I came into the league in 1984, I was the only African-American starting quarterback. And the only, only other one in the league was my third team quarterback, Brian Ransom from Tennessee State. Doug was in the USFL. Vince Evans was in the USFL. None of those guys were in the league at that time. So I was treading really, really thin water at that time to make sure that I didn't do anything wrong uh, to, to hurt the process for other guys coming along. Did you feel that was more of a burden? or or just a responsibility both a burden and a responsibility but a burden that i was willing to take because i knew what i had gone through to get to that point anyway uh so i wasn't gonna let anything uh destroy that uh once i got into the league i was just gonna make sure that that i i carried myself well that i did everything with class that i uh that i uh, made sure i I played well on the field and in all those different things so um yeah, it was something I knew I had to carry because I mean, people would tell me that everywhere I went, everywhere I traveled around the country, people saw me. It's like Warren, you got to represent us. You know, you got to represent us. I heard that everywhere, uh, mm-hmm. not just in Houston. So it was something I was very, very conscious of that I, that I knew I was a guinea pig out there that had to do things right. Man, that's and a it's, tremendous it's, responsibility.
2: Wow, yeah, it, it is. I mean, just hearing you say that, you can talk about Doug in the USFL. Why did he end up in the USFL with the Oklahoma Outlaws? Because he wanted a, a, a legitimate contract with the Buccaneers, and they are like, "We're not paying you." Even though he'd gotten them to the playoffs when they were the worst team in, in NFL history, and, and that kind of leads to another point. You know, you you having that that burden responsibility and forwarding it to today's game, and not even talking about the color of the quarterback. We saw Carson Wentz leverage himself out of Philadelphia. Maybe Deshaun can leverage himself out of Houston. What about the quarterbacks using? that power at that position saying you're not doing it right I don't want to be a part of this get me out of here now
1: yeah there are certain guys that that have the ability to do that and um, you know have the cachet to do that Um, again I didn't feel like I had that at that particular time but if you look at what's going on with these guys now you look at Deshaun who just signed 140 50 million dollar contract you look at Patrick Mahomes a half billion dollar contract you look at uh, what some of these guys are going to sign for Dak, Dak uh, Prescott? Uh, what he just signed for? I mean, they have that power um, with the guarantees in their contract, which we didn't have then. You got to remember when I came in the league, we didn't have free agency. Free agency didn't come in until, what uh, ninety three or ninety three. Yeah, so it was a while before you felt like you had even the power to move teams, more or less, uh, you know, say something about trying to get out of somewhere and go go to another place. Uh, But because these guys have that type of financial uh, stability behind them, um, they have their own social networks now so they can say what they want to say and and they can flex their muscles a little bit more. And I'm glad that they're doing it. That's that's the key is you're not just sitting there with all this power and not doing anything with it. You're actually using it. You know, Warren, you and I had this
3: conversation before, and I'll bring it up again for for the audience on the podcast. And I asked you uh, late last year, we've got, we had 10 black quarterbacks or quarterbacks who were black, who were starting this year. And I ask you if we've moved past the point of race and the evaluation of quarterbacks, I want you to tell the
1: audience what you think about that, what your response was to that. I think for the most part, um, guys are, are being evaluated off of if they can play or not, but there are still, there's still some thinking there, some old thinking that that if you don't fit a certain uh, a certain box, if you don't look a certain way, if, if you're not built a certain way, then you're not going to be a quarterback in this league, that you should change positions. And, and I use a guy who was just voted MVP of the league you know, just two years ago, Lamar Jackson, as my example. Uh, there were still highly respected general managers and, and and scouting people that were saying he should change positions and move move to a, another position. I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? So, yeah, I think for the most part, it has changed, but still some old guard thinking there that if you don't look a certain style or a certain way, uh, you, you should be in another position.
3: When do you think the transition began, that it was less of a factor?
1: Mm, I think after maybe the, the Donovan McNabb of class that came in with Dante Culpepper pepper and, and all those guys and then Michael Vick uh, came in there and and uh, he became you know what first hundred million dollar player in the NFL uh, highly endorsed a guy I think that's when they started to buy in that this different style of play could work in the National Football League and African Americans were the ones kind of who could play that style the best and and that, that's where it started to change I think during during those would be the late nineties into early 2000. I think that's when we really started to take notice that these guys can play the position at a high level. And we're going to start drafting them that way. And we're also going to start maybe drafting some guys in the third or fourth round and developing them for the future. And that's even bigger than, than the guys that, you know, can probably play as opposed to putting uh, some putting some time and some effort and some development into maybe a younger guy who may, might not be ready to play right now, but can be your guy two or three years down the road.
2: Well, you see Russell Wilson, third-round draft pick. Dak Prescott, fourth-round draft pick. Even guys like Jacoby Brissett, you know, who are who are developmental players um, right. coming in and playing. So, you know, on that note, and maybe, you know, you said there's still some Ogar thinking, like maybe the guy has to change the positions. But I think part of the transition, and just to get your thoughts on it, also seems to be the fact that some of these coaches, especially using college ideology, a lot of it sampled from HBCU offenses, are are being more open-minded. You know, a Greg Roman and OC doing some things to play to Lamar Jackson's running ability, yet alone other teams looking at other quarterbacks like a Dak Prescott or a Russell Wilson catering their offenses to their strengths. To, do, do you believe that more there's more coaching, open-mindedness, and flexibility then you know than in the past which is saying we can play this guy we just have to adjust how we think instead of making them adjust the position they play
1: yeah that's one of the biggest things i think i've seen in the nfl over the last 10 years 15 years maybe is they've adapted what these young guys are doing not only what they're doing in college but it goes all the way back to what they're starting to do in middle school and junior and in high and in high school um they're becoming different types of quarterbacks they're becoming the read option type quarterbacks uh those are the things that these kids are learning in these camps. So this That's the stuff that they're learning with their quarterback camps. I mean, their quarterback coaches that are coaching them, those types of techniques. So if these kids have been learning this maybe since they were 12, 13, 14 years old, all the way through college, it makes so much sense that the NFL adapts what they've been doing. Take what they do best and adapt it into your offense in the National Football League. One, you're going to have more success out of that guy because the learning curve, and then two, um, it's just something that, that makes it easier for him to understand, and you can get him going at an earlier earlier time in his career because they're asking these, these first-round guys to play right away. So what better way to get them to play fast than to do what they've been doing all their life? So that's been one of the smartest things a lot of these NFL coaches have done over the last 10 years or so is adapt what these guys are doing in college and, and bringing it into the league and not being so, so hard-headed that you're going to make a guy – you're trying to put a square peg into a round hole by making a guy learn this this completely new offense that he's never seen before, but you want him to be ready for week one of the season. Well, and When
2: well, you see a guy like Josh, Josh – I'm sorry, Jim. Josh Allen well, at it, this point of his career makes such a seismic bump. I mean, he had higher completion percentages, everything, and he threw the ball 110 times more than he did the previous year. I mean, what do you attribute something like that to? Because, again, when you were coming up, it would take three years before a guy would get to be the starter and, and be ready. And all of a sudden, in his third year, he makes that significant bump. I mean, what do you What do you attribute something like that to?
1: Because we don't see it often. Again, I think it's Brian Dayball, their offensive coordinator, seeing what Josh Allen does best, having watched him for his first couple of years. Those are the things that they just continue to keep grinding into him. You bring in a Stephon Diggs, who just increases their their uh, receiving core to another level. And then the hard work that uh, that Josh has put in. He, he put in a tremendous amount of work uh, you know, working with his quarterback coach in the offseason and and just perfecting his technique because he wasn't a very fundamentally sound quarterback coming out of, uh, coming out of college, but he's really worked on his footwork. He was almost like this big piece of, of of clay and you just needed to be able to mold him into what you wanted to mold him into because he had everything that you wanted, work ethic, big, strong, athletic, great arm, all those things. And you, now you just had to make him into a player, but he had to be willing to put in the work and he did that. So, that's the reason why this guy had so much success over the last two or three years.
2: Is Jim with us or is he frozen? He's frozen. So, so here's one for you, Warren. So when we look at some of these first and second round draft picks, you know, we, we were talking to Arizona Cardinals GM Steve Keim about hitting, right? But then you see Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota, one and two, didn't get the big deals on different teams. Now Jared Goff and Carson Wentz, one and two a year later – they got paid, and they're on different teams. But if these guys were their, fran- their team's franchise quarterbacks, they wouldn't have been moved or let go or allowed to seek other employment. With, with the draft coming up, and we're talking about Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson and, and, and Justin Fields and guys like that, what about nailing? I mean, we, we talk about how it's, it's an imperfect science, drafting. But then we also – we were just talking about right here, coaching to these guys' strengths. I mean, how much does that have to mesh for some talented players? Because we know Jameis and Marcus are talented, but how much does it have to mesh to really allow them to shine and for these teams to get the return on investment of that first or second overall pick?
1: Well, you want all those things to come together. Uh, you you want to create an offense that, that this uh, young quarterback, whatever, whoever it is, Jameis or Marcus or whoever the young quarterback is coming in, uh, can adapt to and feel comfortable. So if if you can somehow surround these guys with with good talent and then also bring in an offense that's going to make this quarterback feel much more comfortable, then they have a chance to be a a competitive football team early. On that note, then, do you think
2: Tua Tungavailoa comes into the season with a clean slate in terms of evaluation with everything he had to go through, you know, rehabbing, no offseason, coming in when he did, not having a ton of weapons around him, even though he was on a 10-win football team?
1: Right. And I think he'll be better this year, one, because he doesn't have to worry about rehabbing in an offseason. He doesn't have to worry about the, the psychological part of can I go out here and play and do the things that I'm capable of doing, knowing I'm just coming off of this you know, a, a devastating type of hip injury that that he was going through. And then and then going to a team, like you said, that didn't have a lot of explosive weapons for him to work with. He's used to having those type of weapons in Alabama that he, he could just you know pick and choose where he wanted to go with the football. So it's, it's a big difference when now you have to r- raise everybody's level of play around you as a quarterback, but you're still kind of unsure of yourself. So uh, I think he will be better, and I think he'll be judged. He'll be have a chance to be judged more fairly this year, having had an offseason. All
2: right, well, before we let you get out of here, because uh, Jim's Internet has crashed. So We'll finish up on on this one right here. <laughs> yeah. You- I had to tell you that because we started this off with you taking a shot at Jim. He's not here to defend himself. So, um And
1: you know what? I <laughs> knew that he would somehow not be on the air by the time this show was over, so that's why I knew I could take a shot early and not have any rebuttal. <laughs> <laughs>
2: there you go. All right. Hey, well, real quick, too, also, you know, you talked about how you're, you're traveling a little bit. We see the country opening up a little bit as we're getting vaccines and things like that. To you, move, moving forward over these next couple months and approaching the season and some of the things you'd like to do, getting up to Canton for the Hall of Fame, um, which you always do, I mean, how has this living through the past year been for you? And now that we're starting to see a little bit of sunshine come over the horizon, just kind of your expectations and the exhale that we're all going to be able to
1: do hopefully in the next couple months. Yeah, it's been a tremendous burden on everybody. There's no question about it. And, uh, you know, I learned a whole lot about myself as far as patience again, being tested this year, because I'm a guy that's on the move all the time. Um, a lot of what I do for a living had to do with getting on airplanes and going to different cities and, and you know, speaking with different people and, and doing different things like that. All that came to a halt. Uh, I was also worried about my family because I have a 14-year-old who's involved in sports, going to school every day and being around his friends. All that was taken away from him. I have grandkids that are going through the same thing. So those were my biggest concerns. How do, how do I keep my young kids uh, motivated as far as wanting to learn? Uh, Being able to still get their exercise and and be able to integrate with their friends, because uh, that's a big part of being young is is that social uh, that social involvement. Uh, And and for me, you know, I'm an older guy. I've lived a really, really good life. So it's not like I'm just having everything snatched away from me. but. But it was an adjustment for me as well. But now that I've had my vaccine, I'm starting to get out and and travel a little bit more. I just hope people continue to still keep being safe because we're not out of this thing yet. Continue to keep wearing your mask. Continue to keep being social distant if you can. And then try and get your vaccination if you can. Because I think it's something that everybody should strive to get. Um, A lot of people are really hesitant about it. But I've had mine. and haven't had any problems with it. And I think we'd be better off if if we get more people vaccinated so we can uh, get to this herd immunity and and we can start getting back to normal and start doing some of the things that we used to do as people that uh, that kept us happy. All right, Well, you you can't get off easy. Jim's back.
2: Hey, Jim. Technology Uh, technology caught (laughs) up to him. He's back.
3: (laughs) Bro, I am now on my cell phone. Neither my laptop nor my PC are working with the link, so I, I hit the cell phone up. So I'm being resourceful. I know Warren probably talked about me pretty bad while
1: I was gone, but that's okay. Wasn't I'll that bad?
3: You, it was temper. It
1: was temper. I am, am going to do him to send you a box, and it's going to have a lot of technology equipment in it, and lighting, and <laughs> microphones, and all kinds of things, and, and it's going to also have instructions on how to use all those things. So for your next guest, they won't have to go through this.
3: <laughs> I I feel for you. But you know what? I, I wanna I I'm gonna pay you some respect here. Um, even though you've done all that. But Warren, I'm sure you've heard this before. You threw the pretty spiral I've ever seen in my life. Where when did you have that right away? Or was there someone that helped you develop that?
1: Just a lot of practice, Jim. And it started when I was a young, young kid. Um you know 12 13 years old just in the in my sh- in my street um i lived right on a corner so i had four street lights right in the intersection uh and, and that allowed me to stay out a little bit later than than other kids to just throw the football and, and i didn't come in the house i could just throw all night i had a buddy down the street by the name of hector sims and he would stand there and catch that ball for me until uh until i just couldn't throw it anymore until my mother kept yelling for me to come in the house at night so It was just a lot of practice. Um, And then when I got into the league, it had a lot to do with my fingernail, believe it or not, on my forefinger. And people have talked about that with me. If my fingernail length was the right length, that ball spun as pretty as any ball that uh, you've ever seen be thrown. And uh, I've had different times in games where I've called timeout and went over to the sideline. I I asked for a fingernail foul to foul my nail down because my ball wasn't spinning the way I wanted it to. So you are kidding.
3: No, you're kidding. (laughs) What?
1: How far I went with this thing. And and, uh, ask Johnny Randall that story one day. He'll tell you. (laughs) Did he do it? You try to break your finger? He called, I called a timeout on a drive. We were going down against Miami and, and we were, uh, we were coming from behind and I called timeout and everybody's panicking. What's wrong? What's wrong? What's What's going on with Warren? Why is he coming over here? And I I walked over to the trainer. I said, go get that fingernail file for me. And I filed the fingernail down and ended up throwing the winning touchdown past the Quadri Ishmael to win the football game. (laughs) Which finger? that's incredible. (laughs) It's my forefinger on my passing hand, but that's the finger that would make that ball spin. And if you look at the balls that I would throw, you would see, you would see uh, scratches in the ball from from my fingernail from how I throw the football. Wow! What a story! I did that, not know.
3: See, that.
2: I I didn't know that. So tell me this: Did you play baseball? Did you pitch? Did I did go up
1: the ball, bit, but I always felt like I was going to wreck my arm for football, so I didn't pitch a lot. But I played more shortstop, but I did pitch some. Yeah. Let me be clear: wow. the four finger is that the index finger? Index finger on my passing hand. That's where the ball comes off. Where you get that flick. Of the football, and uh, amazing, you would actually hear the sound come up of it. It would, you would hear my fingernails slicing into the ball. You know they would probably fine you today for filing your nails <laughs> on the sideline. <laughs> they Can't hurt
2: me now. They can't hurt me. Finger, fingernail gate. Fingernail gate.
1: Fingernail gate. We're
2: gonna find Warren, gonna find Warren Moon and whatever club he's with.
3: Well, Warren, I'm
1: curious, how many yards would you have thrown for in today's game? Jim, 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 we don't even want to talk about that. how many yards would Marino throw for, how many yards would Elway throw for, how many yards with, uh, you know, all the guys that I played with during my era. I mean, they're all in the Hall of Fame, basically, and, and all those guys could spin it. So, yeah, we would have had a field day with the way the, the, way the game is played right now and the rules. Some of us would probably still be playing because you can't touch nobody. <laughs> well, I
3: wanted to ask you as a Hall of Famer, all of these quarterbacks are going to put up numbers now. Yeah. So how do you how do you differentiate them when it comes to say the Hall of Fame? Because I get so tired of hearing people say the minute a quarterback retires, he's a Hall of Famer. Look at where he ranks on this list in terms of passing yards or whatever. From your standpoint, how do you separate them?
1: That's a good question, and that's something uh, you, as one of the selectors, are going to have to figure out because the game is going to continue to keep evolving and uh, i don't know how much further it's going to go now than it than it has uh, with the passing game because it seems like it's it's almost as far as it can go as far as what these guys are being asked to do at some point who knows maybe the trend will go back to to running the football i don't know because this game has tended to be a game of trends where running backs are dominant and all of a sudden quarterback and passing becomes dominant and then it might go back to running backs but i don't think so because of the way the 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 rules are right now so that's something you guys have to figure out uh you can't just go by you know what a guy's yards are anymore and and I think that's why Super Bowls and things like that have become so much more important now than they ever have before uh in evaluating whether a quarterback should go to the Pro Football Hall of Fame because the numbers they're going to all have big numbers you're going to have to figure out other things or other reasons why you evaluate them for the Hall of Fame. Do you think we should place a greater importance on postseason numbers versus regular season numbers? Probably, yeah. It doesn't have to necessarily be Super Bowls because only one guy can win a Super Bowl right. every year. But definitely, uh, you know what he's done in that second season because there's going to be guys from bad football teams that are going to throw for a lot of yards because they're behind all the time. So they're they're going to be throwing the football just to get in the game. And so they're they might throw for 350, 400 yards every week, but they're not winning those games because they're just playing from behind. So you can look at what what was going on with Dak Prescott uh, with his, with his uh, early season last year, he was throwing for a ton of yards, but they weren't winning yep. games because he's playing from behind all the time. So that's a perfect example of that. Um, and at the end of the season, okay, he might have 4,500 yards or close to 5,000 yards, but he, he only won five, six games. So I think, second season is going to be a little bit more important going forward for quarterbacks.
2: All right, Warren. Hey, man, we appreciate you taking the time. We know you got a brunch to eat and a bird to catch.
1: Well, I I just want to, first of all, say thank you guys for having me on the show. I have tremendous respect for both of you and and what you've been doing for the league for a number of years. I've known you both for a long time. Appreciate you, Warren. Warren. We
3: appreciate you, bro. Appreciate
1: you guys. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep educating and keep, keep people on top of what they're, what they're supposed to be doing, because you guys do a great job of that, keeping people accountable. Well, really appreciate you, bro. Thank you, bro.
3: Well, fortunately, Steve, my my uh, internet is working better <laughs> today than it did on that morning with Warren. But but let me get back to this. You know, since we're getting so close to the draft. You know, the reason it's so fascinating to me about whether or not race is still a factor in the evaluation of the quarterback position is because you have to understand the history of this league. And and I think sometimes people forget that from 34 to 46, there was an informal ban on blacks being allowed in the NFL. So we weren't even allowed to play. And after that, There was essentially, ostensibly, a ban on Blacks playing the quarterback position because it was felt either we weren't smart enough or we didn't have the qualities to lead a team. But to say we have not made progress would be foolish from this standpoint. Three of the last six league MVPs have been quarterbacks who happen to be Black. Five of the last 15 quarterbacks who were drafted number one overall were persons of color. And each of the last two passing yards leader were african-american so from that standpoint we've made progress even looking at the draft in the 10 drafts from 01 to 2010 six of the 27 quarterbacks selected in the first round were black that's 22.2 percent over the last 10 drafts 11 of the 32 quarterbacks taken in the first round were black that's 34.4 percent so there has been improvement in that way but i don't think we can ever forget that it was only a few years ago that Bill Polian, who is a Hall of Famer, said that Lamar Jackson should change positions coming into the NFL. So to me, race remains a factor in this, and that's why it's so particularly offensive to me what's happening to Justin Fields at this point.
2: Yeah, you know, you, you hate hearing it. But look, you, you heard it when he came out of high school because you remember when he came out, he was ahead of Trevor Lawrence. He, he was the top-rated quarterback, Trevor Lawrence, went to Clemson, Justin Fields, went to Georgia to start out with, and he was behind uh, Jake Fromm. At Georgia. And so he didn't get to start right away. He came in a lot of gimmick packages. So that kind of stereotype narrative, the whole Randall Cunningham substitution type narrative was already starting to be drawn. Then he goes to Ohio State, kills it. I mean, just has a great career. So then you're starting to hear, oh, he, yeah, but Ohio State quarterbacks don't do well in the NFL. Well, unless Tua turns things around, you know, Alabama quarterbacks haven't done great in the NFL either yet. We're talking about Mac Jones possibly going as high as three. So, you know, there, there, there's just all kinds of things here and there that, you know, we just have to do better. And, Jim, I'm glad to point We have to do better as, as messengers of the media and people who have relationships with with coaches and personnel directors at disseminating information and presenting it in, in context, you know. And I think you, know, you brought up Dan Orlowski. He did show the context of how Justin Fields reads the field, you know. And, and that's, how that's, what so yeah. that's what was so
3: disappointing, Steve. That's what was so disappointing. He contradicted all of that in the segment he did for NFL, uh, I'm sorry, for ESPN. He contradicted all of it based on his own research and study. So then to turn around and say, well, this is what I'm hearing from personnel people and not have to identify those personnel people and why they might say something negative about Justin Fields was just disappointing to me. Who do you trust, Dan? Do you trust your personal evaluation of this kid? Are you trusting these personnel people who have a vested interest to lie to you potentially about uh, in terms of saying negative things about Justin Fields? And that's what bothers me here. Look, I think people have a right to their opinion. If you think Justin Fields is lazy or you think he can't go through reprogressions, you're entitled to say that. But at this point, put your name on it. That's all I ask. If you believe that, put your name on it. I don't believe you should be allowed to say things like that negatively. Knowing the larger implications of what it means for a young black man to have those labels attached to him.
2: And if you have the inside intel, if you're someone to know he's the last one in the first one out, you know, put your name on it because I got it. I tell you what, there's about he's probably got about 75, 85 teammates who can give you the intel. Some of them are coming out of the draft. So these so these teams speak to all of these guys, you know. So so the team the teams know the real deal. Again, so that's what we have to do, a better job. Of, of disseminating information in the media as well. Speaking of disseminating information, uh, you know, we we want to thank everyone who has joined us here on the Huddle Flow podcast. We've grown, we've delivered, we've served a cause, we've generated more causes, had some great conversations and interviews on here. We want to thank all of our guests who've come on. But uh, Jim I and Thomas Warren, our producer, we're getting ready to take a little bit of a breather. Okay, we got we to take some downtime, we're gonna go on hiatus. So. While we're out for the next couple weeks, please listen to some of the archived podcasts that we have on Spotify and iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And go back and listen to some of the great interviews that we've had to see, you know, where we started, where we've come from, and just how some of the great information, even from people like Chuck D, you know, and James Lopez, and Soledad O'Brien, the non-football people, you know, Jamel Hill and Kerry Champion, that was fun, and Kimberly Martin, and people like that. Listen to, to some of the things that were said. And you can be like, wow. I mean, there's a lot of foreshadowing, a lot of good information there. Um, and really enjoy that, you know, because Jim and I, you know, we're, we'll we be back in a little bit with more information to show, you know, where, where Huddle and Flow is headed into the, into the offseason, into next season. But, yep, you know, the, bro- the brother's got to take a breather, right, Jim?
3: Absolutely. So it's <laughs> it's been uh, these last 12 months or last year has been a grind, man, and there has not been a break. I know you snuck away for a minute for a couple of days here or there for me, I I haven't been able to do that yet. So my house has been on lockdown. I have not been able to get out, but I got my first COVID shot. I'm waiting on that second one. And when that hits, you might not find me again, Steve. So, (laughs) you know, I I definitely need to get out.
2: I hear you. I got my second shot coming too. I have, I have mine, uh, what last Monday. So, um, They it's it's everyone, you know, if you can't get get your shot. Let's let's get the stuff knocked down so we can get back to doing what we want to do. And on that note, Jim, we're gonna do what we wanna do. So why yes, don't you sir. take why don't you take us home and take us to grandma's and for a couple other relatives? <laughs> yes, we ain't sir. be back for a minute.
3: <laughs> no, we we again and we mean this uh sincerely, we wanna thank you all for listening. <clears throat> we wanna thank you for subscribing to the podcast. We want you to leave us uh, your comments, your thoughts. Let us know who you want to hear from, what you want to hear about. And that way we can continue to give you more of what you're funking for. That's
2: right. Well, we appreciate everybody so much, especially our guests who've come on and the teams and the, and the, and the booking people who've helped us get some of these guests on and, and just you listeners for growing, for growing, with us and just kind of giving us a, a lane that we've helped discover, you know, ourselves. So you guys, we Jim and I have driven the car in a certain way, and you guys have taken the ride with us. and And we 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 hope to be back in a little bit uh, to give you a little bit more. And for our producer Thomas Warren, who is folks, he has busted his ass. Okay, you know, you know, Thomas Warren, our HU brother, has has done so much to to get this going. So he needs that breather too. But for Thomas, Jim, and me, and Intuit, sponsor of the show, Proud makes the TurboTax Mint, and QuickBooks, we are the HU Mob, and we are out.